please pray with and with and for me. Let us pray. even know what to say, Lord. It's hard uh, standing up here today, and I pray for your spirit to move, that he will speak through me, that I will be a vessel for you to use for your glory. My emotions are all over the place, but help me to believe that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I pray that you will help my unbelief, because I struggle to believe it. I pray that those who are tuning in, that they will receive what they need to receive um, today. We are all different people. We see life differently. We see America differently. We have different views on politics. We have different views on on government. We have different views on on everything. It's amazing that we can even coexist together. I guess that too is a common grace from you. If we haven't already destroyed each other. So Lord, I you know your people. You know your image bearers better than I do. You know what they need to hear. And I pray that they will hear it. And I pray for all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning, TVC Saints and, and guests. Uh, I know some of you were expecting to hear from Brother Amos uh, this morning. But uh, the Holy Spirit called an audible on Saturday evening. And you see, I was I was outside playing football with my son when, when Amos sent me a text. Um, about it was about 6:23, and he said, "Bro, I, I, bro," he says, "Bro, feel free to call an audible anytime between the day and Sunday at 10:30 a.m. I won't be upset at all." Uh, the spirit called that audible. Preaching was the the first wasn't even on my mind Saturday, but I believe the spirit called this audible. I heard it, received it, and I've answered the call to address the church body that Christ has called me to shepherd. But now I had no clue on what the Spirit wanted me to say. And I'm even struggling now to say what I'm going to say. But I just knew I, I had to be here today to stand before you as your pastor. I reached out to your elders. I spoke with my friend Adam and and I asked him to pray for me. It was it was around 10 p.m. last night that the Spirit led me to led me to a message that I preached back in 2015, five years ago. The message is titled "A Broken Church." A broken church. From John, from Jonah 2, verses 1 through 10. A broken 
prophetic church is what I want to talk about today. Why? Because that's the kind of church our country needs right now. But that's the kind of church every denominational and every non-denominational church refuses to be. It's true for white, conservative, evangelical churches. It's true for historical black churches. It's true for Hispanic and Asian churches. It's true for liberal and progressive churches. It's true for multi-ethnic and multicultural and cross-cultural churches. It's even true for the village church. If Revelations was written today, then the church in America would be one of seven churches. The village church would be one of the seven churches. And I got to tell you, saints, I don't always comment on what y'all share on your social media posts, but you need to know there's a possibility our church doesn't survive this year if we don't figure out a way to work together. You need to know that. We're just too, there's so much, we're too different. We refer, we're all from different worlds. And if we don't figure out a way to come together, we won't survive this. You need to know that as you're engaging on social media. We might not survive this. The word I'm going to, to the, the word that I'm going to share today is going to be hard to hear. I might get some emails later, but it's the word that the Spirit has given me, and I'm going to preach it as I sweat through my clothes. When y'all look at the church in America across all the denominations and cultures, do y'all see a prophetic church with a prophetic voice? Is that what we see? No, we don't. Her prophetic voice is dead because of her idolatrous relationship with America. That's it. America is a false god that many believers in this country worship. They even sing praises to this God. My country, tease of thee, sweet land of liberty, of thee I sing. Land where my father died, land of the pilgrim's pride, from every mountainside, let freedom ring. Is freedom really ringing? Let's put it this way. America is a Trinitarian false god. One false god and three distinct persons. Who are the persons in this godhead? The god of power, the god of privilege, and the god of prosperity. The American way is a religion, and the American dream is its gospel. And the church is its disciples. That's why we have no prophetic voice. And there's only one way that the church in America will ever be a prophetic witness with a prophetic voice. And that is through brokenness. Jesus has to break us. We have to suffer. Without it. We're going to be what we always been. We run to our political corners, our red and blue corners. Only a broken church would be a prophetic church that speaks truth to power. Only. The church in America needs to be broken like the prophet Jonah need, needed to be broken. And the Lord breaks Jonah. 
And that's what you read about when the passage that, uh, that Amos read in Jonah 2, verses 1 through 10. It's a chronicle of Jonah's brokenness. It's a prayer and psalm of reflection. It's Jonah looking back on what happened to him. So, so what happened to him? He was hurled into the sea by some pagan sailors towards the end of chapter 1. He was left in the water, floating by himself. This actually happened to him. It did. It's not a fairy tale. It's not just him making it up. This actually happened to him. He was thrown into the sea. He was stranded. No Coast Guard coming, no lifeboat. And if, and if the Lord did not supernaturally intervene, Jonah was doomed. He was doomed. And if the Lord doesn't supernaturally intervene in what we're going through, we're doomed. There are forces at work in the world that are outside flesh and blood. And our American comforts can't save us. You better believe that. Thankfully, the Lord God intervened. And in Jonah 1.17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah stayed in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then when... The Lord sent, when do you think the Lord sent the fish to save him? Have you ever asked yourself that question if you read through the book of Jonah? How long was Jonah that's floating about in the water? How long was he there before the Lord sent the fish? Did some time pass between the Lord intervention? And what do you think? I believe some time passed. And there was a gap between God's divine appointment of the fish and, and Jonah being hurled into the sea. He was in this middle space, and in this middle space, he was being broken. He was being broken in this middle space. And y'all need to understand something about Jonah's brokenness and your own brokenness. His brokenness was not condemnation. It wasn't abuse. It wasn't abandonment. It was the Lord's discipline of grace. And brokenness brought Jonah to the end of himself. It led him to repentance. It led him to be a broken prophetic prophet. And the brokenness did the same thing to us. It would do the same thing for the church in America. You want the church in America to be different? Then pray that Jesus will break us. No amount of speeches. No more conferences. No more Bible studies. No more all these things that, that we do. You want the church in America to be different? Then you pray on your knees, Jesus, break us. Take away all of our privileges. Make us a persecuted church. That's the only way it's going to change. Because without it, we're going to be where we've always been. A non-prophetic church. A non-prophetic church. The Lord appointed the fish to rescue Jonah after he was broken, after he called out for help, after he repented. He stayed in the belly of the fish three days, three full days, and then he offered up this prayer to God. Jonah prayed to Yahweh his God from the belly of the fish. It's a prayer of repentance. It's a prayer of reflection. It's a prayer of praise. And this is the first time he prayed to God in the book. The first time he cried out to the Lord his God in the book. 
the first time he, he, he cried out for help. Now, he had, pre, he had many opportunities to do so before he was hurled into the sea. God gave him chances to cry out to him. First, he could have cried out to the Lord God um, when the captain on the ship commanded him to do so. Because the pagan, pagan sailors went down to Jonah and said, hey, 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 dude, you need to call upon your God. And what was Jonah doing? He could have called out upon the Lord God when he was first calling his sin, but he didn't. Why didn't he call out to God? Because he wasn't broken yet. The reason we don't cry out like this is because we're not broken yet. Oh, we upset now by these deaths. We're upset now about cities on fire. We're upset now about people going into different cities and looting things. We're upset now, but give it time, it'll pass. Then we'll be on to the next thing. We'll be on to the next thing. The Trinitarian false god of America hasn't failed y'all, some of y'all yet, but give it time. Give it time. You see, the sea broke Jonah. And he prayed to Yahweh, his God, out of his brokenness. He prayed, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried out, and you heard my voice. This he cried out for help. He cried for mercy. He cried for deliverance. He caused a call of repentance. Jonah is, is, is now a broken prophet crying out for help out of his brokenness. And these words should bring us into, into Jonah's emotional state. He, he did experience real aff, uh, afflict, affliction and distress. Something that he never experienced before in the book. In chapter 1, again, if you have studied Jonah, you know in chapter 1, a powerful storm raged upon the sea. Back when Jonah was still in the pagan ship. The pagan sailors on that ship, they were experiencing great fear. They were afraid. They were in distress. Then they were in distress. There was affliction because their lives were in jeopardy. Do you know, again, what was Jonah doing as the storm waged upon the sea? He was sleeping beneath the deck of the ship as if things were peaceful. He was peacefully asleep. He wasn't experiencing any distress or affliction like these pagan sailors was. He was enjoying a comfortable nap like many of us. Some of us don't believe in certain things until someone in our family dies from it. Some of us don't believe that the police department, the police in America, police minorities differently until your minority friend goes through it. Then you will believe it. That's who we are as Americans. We're individualistic. If things do not impact me, in my own, it doesn't exist. If it doesn't shape up with my politics, it doesn't exist. I don't care what you went through. I don't care what your experiences are. We're napping while storms are raging through our country. And we let people who don't know Jesus fight our battles. Shame on us. Shame on us. We or the city on the hill. We are. And if 
we're not grieved by what is happening in this land that God has placed us in, then we really don't love Jesus and we really don't love people. Your heart should break as you see these cities burn. But what we do, we post. We post about it. People down on the streets, we post about it. Again, I'm telling you, our church might not survive this. But it won't be because I didn't preach the truth. Because y'all don't believe it. And you're not living it. When Jonah was hurled into the sea... That's when he finally felt and experienced what those sailors felt. He experienced that same fear, that same distress, that same affliction, because now his life was in jeopardy. His life is now in jeopardy. So he cried out to the Lord for help and for mercy. Out of the belly of the fish, he cried. Sheol is a place where people go to die with no hope of return and no escape. It represents death. Jonah was in a place of utter hopelessness. He was in a place of despair. He was being broken. Again, if the Lord did not intervene, he was going to die. I know you're asking yourself, what did Jonah do to lead, to, to lead him to this situation? What brought him to this despair? What brought him to a place where now he's in the sea, drowning? I don't know about you, but I've never been in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. It's a three-day weekend that none of y'all want. You see, our brother Jonah made some bad decisions that caught up with him. He made some choices that led to his brokenness. It all started the day when the Lord God called Jonah to be a prophetic witness to the people of Nineveh. The Lord wanted Jonah to go and, and call the people out because of their sin. But Jonah did not want to go. He didn't want to be a prophetic witness with a prophetic voice um, to the people of Nineveh. He didn't want to go because he thought the people deserved judgment, not mercy. I don't want to go, Lord. Those people deserve to die. They don't need my, your mercy, so I'm not going. Because I know what you're going to do when I get there. You're going to forgive them. I don't want you to forgive them. He knew the Lord would have compassion on Nineveh if they repented of their sin. And Jonah didn't like it, so he rebelled. And he was going to flee to Tarshish, away from the Lord. He tells the Lord, I'm not going. I am not going. And so he turns his back on God's call and leaves. And the Lord God, he doesn't chase behind Jonah's coattails, begging him to stay, pleading with Jonah, come back, Jonah, come back, Jonah. I need you, Jonah. No, he lets him go. He lets him go. He doesn't beg Jonah to stay. Please understand something, saints. Yahweh Elohim is not dead. He's not that type of God. He's not the one. He has too much swag for that. Yahweh Elohim commands and he expects obedience. He commands Jonah to go to Nineveh, but Jonah rebels. And the Lord God lets Jonah do it. He lets Jonah flee. He lets Jonah get on that ship. He lets Jonah think he's getting away with it. He lets Jonah get on the boat. 
He lets the, sea, the ship sail out to sea, giving Jonah a false hope that, hey, I'm going to rebel without consequences. But soon the Lord showed up and showed out. He shows up and, and, and let Jonah know, I'm the one who wore the big boy pants in this relationship. It's always going to be my way. It's always going to be my way. So God intervened in Jonah's fleeing and rebellion. He supernaturally intervened through this powerful storm that raged upon the sea. And the storm brought fear upon the pagan sailors. The storm also prevented Jonah from, from fleeing from the Lord. Jonah's rebellion was being exposed and he was hurled into the sea like a piece of cargo. And when he went into the sea, the storm, the storm ceased. The church in America is Jonah, traveling the same path, not wanting to be a prophetic witness with a prophetic voice in our country. We flee from the call, not because we don't think America needs God's mercy. We, freely, we flee because we falsely believe in American exceptionalism. America is different, we say. America isn't like other countries, we say. America has a unique mission in the world to transform it, we say. America is superior to other nations. Look at our economy. Look at our government. Look, look at theirs. We're different. America is God's kingdom, right? America is the city on the hill, right? South African Bishop Peter Story says, American preachers, listen to this, American preachers have a task more difficult, perhaps, than those forces, than those, than those forces um, by us on the South African apartheid. Think about that. This is a South African bishop. American preachers have a task more difficult, perhaps, than the forces by us under South Africans apartheid and Christians under communism. We had obvious evils to engage. You have to unwrap your culture from years of red, blue, from red, white, and blue myths. You have to expose and confront the great disconnection between kindness and compassion and caring of most American people with the ruthless way American power is experienced, directly and indirectly, by the poor of the world. You have to help good people see how they let their institutions do their sinning for them. This is not easy among people who really believe that their country does nothing but good. But it is necessary, not only for their future, but for all of us. Those are convicting words. It takes a, a church who are, who's broken out of her privilege to speak such prophetic words in our country during this time. Again, some of you don't like what I'm saying. And if you don't, talk to the Holy Spirit because he gave me the words. The Lord is going to throw this church into the sea of brokenness. And some of us will not survive. Some of the churches that exist in America now will not survive. Won't be here when Jesus comes back. But this church could be one of them. We need this. We need this brokenness. And this brokenness is not combination. It's not abuse. It's not abandonment. It's discipline of grace. 
Jonah experienced this grace in the sea of brokenness. He saw Yahweh's hand over his brokenness when he looked back on it. And, and it's what you see eventually once you come out on the other side. That Yahweh's hand and Jesus' hand is over the brokenness. Jonah says, for you hurled and cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea. You did this, Lord. Then the, the, the human element wasn't the only element involved in what happened to Jonah. The divine element was at work as well. Both are at work. It was God's doing. It was by Yahweh's hands. Yahweh hurled him into the deep of the sea, into the water. Jonah wasn't being led beside still waters, as David says in Psalm 23. He wasn't. And we often quote Psalm 23, but sometimes we are just in the sea. No still waters. He says, the flood surrounded me. The current and tide confined me. It had him bound. He was enclosed by water. No life jacket, no lifeboat. The flood that surrounded him wasn't by accident or chance or karma. It was the sovereign hand of God. He says, all your waves and billows passed over me. The waves and billows, they were crushing down upon him, pushing him under the water. Again, this is not fairy tale, saints. This happened. Jonah is drowning. Don't need to go to the Greek text, the commentary, to know that. He's drowning. He's been broken. Your ways rushed over me. Your billows are over me. You're crushing me down. He's been broken, broken into repentance. These billows and waves are, are, are God's discipline of grace. Psalm 119, verse 67 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Jonah went astray when he fled from the Lord's call to be a prophetic witness to Nineveh. When he fled from the presence of the Lord and his rebellion finally caught up with him. And Jonah felt the weight of his sin. And as we know, the wages of sin is death. Look at verse 4. He says, then I said, I've been driven away from your sight. Jonah felt and sensed a distance from the Lord's presence. He, he, and he didn't feel this distance when he fled. Now that he's been disciplined, now he feels it. Now he feels it. Do you feel it? Do you sense it? He says in verses 5 and 6, The waters closed over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds are wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountain. I went down to the land whose bars are closed upon, upon, upon me forever. And the message Bible says, the ocean gripped me by the throat. The ocean gripped me, gripped me by the throat. I love that translation. The ocean had this, had his, had his man-sized hands around Jonah's neck. The sea, the belly of the Sheol, sh- sh- he's fighting for his life. He's drowning. It's hard stand afloat. But the battle, he can't win in his own strength. And he eventually goes down under the water. The weeds wrapped around his head, twisting around his neck. And that's, Jonah thought he was going to a watery grave. 
going to a place where he won't get escaped from. This again, this is not a story that's actually happened. And what do y'all think about the situation? Was this un- is this unloving from God? Has God been unjust to Jonah? Is this unchristian? Is this anti-gospel? Is this anti-grace? No, no, no. The Lord breaks Jonah into repentance. And out of this brokenness, Jonah is going to move out to be a prophetic witness with a prophetic voice. You see, this brokenness, the same brokenness, will bring the church in America to the, to the end of her sin, where she doesn't worship privilege and power and prosperity, where she doesn't align herself with the Republican Party and the Democratic Party fully. Brokenness pulls us to the throne of grace where you call out to him, to Jesus, in confession and repentance. The Lord's hand is heavy upon Jonah in the sea, and Jonah eventually repented. He reflects upon this repentance. He says, when my life was fading away, I remembered Yahweh. My prayer came to you in your holy temple. Do you remember him? Do you have this type of hope? Do we? Who do you think is going to save you? Christian, who's saving you? Who's really sustaining you? God is a gracious God. He's ready to forgive. Gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in love. And he comes to Jonah and rescues him. He says, I cried out to the Lord out of my distress. He answered me. And out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my cry. Yahweh comes to Jonah. He comes to him. That's why he says with confidence, yet I, I, yet I shall look upon your holy temple again. He knew he could be restored. We can be restored. The church in America, nothing is hopeless for us. But we have to embrace suffering. We have to embrace brokenness. Yahweh hears Jonah's cry, and he goes to him. Psalm 49, 15 says, But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? Do I believe it? God is a covenant-keeping God, but do we believe it? Do we live in it? You see and feel the power of what God is doing in Jonah's life. He hurled him into the sea. He sent this um, big whale to swallow him up. You see God moving. And God does that. And Jonah, in the end, ends up going to Nineveh. Because the Lord rescued him out of his brokenness. He molded him into this prophetic prophet. And so he goes. Let me ask y'all a question. Whose sin caused the storm to rage upon the sea? Whose sin? Was it the sin of the pagan sailors? Or was it Jonah's sin? It was Jonah's sin. His disobedience was the cause of the storm. Those pagan sailors were helping him out. 
they, he approached them for a ride. They didn't know they was riding dirty with Jonah underneath the ship. If they would have known what was going to happen, no, my brother, you got to find you another ship. No, 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 no. I know how this ends. He paid the fare to let him on board. They didn't know that he was a rebellious prophet fleeing from, the, from, the, from his God. And again, in hindsight, they would not have let him on the ship. They would give him back his money. They got caught up in a storm that wasn't even their fault. And when the storm came, Jonah was asleep beneath the deck of the ship. And this again, they labored to fight a battle that he started. These unbelievers, these pagan sailors, fighting against a storm and, and chaos that they didn't even start. And they laboring, laboring tirelessly, throwing stuff off the deck of a ship. And Jonah is down beneath the deck, asleep. Oh, the old, old Presbyterian minister named James Boyce says, the disobedience of one of God's servants always involves others in peril, even innocent people. We must not be smug at the point and overly blame the sailors, for, for we remember that the trouble came on them because of Jonah. This means, listen to this point. If you want to write something down, write this down. This means, in some situations at least, problems come to the world because of God's judgment on his own children. That's powerful. That's convicting. How much of the problems in our country is the result of the church's disobedience as opposed to America's disobedience or the government's disobedience? We have to ask ourselves that question. There are certain storms raging right now because of our disobedience as a church. Racial storms, these cultural storms, and everything that is taking place right now, the injustices that we see. How much of it lays at our feet? Because of our idolatry of America. Do we honestly think the church's hands is clean? Do you think our hands are clean? Storms are raging right now. But where are we? People are protesting. Cities are on, are on fire. Where are we? We tweet. We post. We are asleep beneath the deck of the ship. We're letting unbelievers fight battles, fight storms that are probably our fault. If, this, if the church in this country had done its job when this country was planted, race relations would be better now. Please know that. It's the church's fault. Historically, it's our fault. We have no one to blame but us. We're beneath the deck of the ship. We're passing judgment. We're beneath the deck of the ship trying to come up with our political justification for everything that's happening. You, we need to be broken. This is the point. This is the point. That's the point. And I'll be honest with you, y'all. I'm tired. It's hard being the pastor of this church when things like this happen. I'm tired. 
tired. I often wonder, does any of this make a difference? Does any of it, is it registering? I sometimes don't think it does. I could be wrong. I'm just in that space right now. We forget that the inception of Christianity was not privilege, power, and prosperity. It did not start that way. It wasn't a top-down faith. Jesus actually stepped down from the top to the bottom to be with y'all. And he ministered from the margins of life. We want what Jesus never had, complete comfort. Christianity that requires no suffering. That's what we want. Do you, I mean, we argue about pointless things. Because we want what Christ never had. We want privilege. We want power. We want prosperity. We want our platform. Jesus was not born into privilege. He was born into a working class family. He wasn't born in entitlement. He didn't live for self-preservation. He suffered. He changed the world through his death. And rose in power. Theologian T. Austin Sparks writes, the cross that saves us is also the cross that slays us. We need to be slayed. We need to be woken up. And God is going to do it. It might not be in my lifetime. But I believe he's going to break the church in America. And what's going to rise from the ashes is a truly prophetic church that speaks truth to power. A church that's going to go to Nineveh and operate on the margins of society, not from celebrity, not from fame, and not from status. A church that leads out of weakness and not strength. A broken church that, that hopes in Jesus and not power, privilege, and prosperity. A church that embraces a sojourner status. Christians in America, this is not our home. We are sojourners. We are here to be salt and light. If this is as good as it gets, man, we are doomed. America is not the new kingdom, the new heavens, and new earths. We're sojourners. And most of us are too comfortable here. That's our problem. A broken church that, that takes the gospel of salvation to all people groups. A church that values people more than programs and property. A church whose loyalty lies with Jesus' kingdom and not the kingdoms of this world. A church who stores up heavenly treasures. That's a broken church. A church whose flag is the cross, not the red, white, and blue. 
a church who stands in relationships with, with other people for the sake of justice, a church that strives for reconciliation with people who are different than them. A broken church laments. A broken church has empathy. We ain't ever going to see things the same way in this church, but we should be able to empathize with one another and respect one another. And I'm going to tell you, if you can't do that, stop posting on Facebook. Stop. A church that seeks awareness, that's a broken church. A church that advocates is a broken church. And a church that accepts the fact that it's going to be hard. A broken church is a church that speaks truth to the God of America. A church that longs for the redemption of all things, not just certain aspects of creation. What Christ did, the redemption is not just so we can die and go to heaven. The redemption is the redemption of the whole earth. All of it. And we get to see that redemption right now in the already and not yet. David says, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Do you want to see it, saints? Are you tired of what you're seeing? Let's be salt and light, though. Let's be the city on the hill. Let's be it. Let's unite. It's time for every Christian in this country. It's time to take off our political outfits, all the other things that we align ourselves with, and it's time for us to stand under the banner of the cross. We're unified, and we're going to speak truth to justice, and we're going to fight with the cross, with the weapons that God has given us. We're the only ones that can do that. I don't want to see America burn, but the church got to got to rise up. I wish Jesus would come down right now and make everything right. I wish he would. I wish he would descend and say, follow me, saints, and we'll follow him. I wish he would do that. But what he has left behind is his church. And as Jesus said, it's time the church gets busy with the Father's work. It is time. It is time. A broken church is a church that preaches and lives the word. A broken church is a church that fights for unity and a bond of peace. A broken church is a church that loves and befriends messy people. A, 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 a broken church is a church who owns and, and repents of her sins, both past and present. A broken church is a church that welcomes suffering as part of the calling, as part of the journey. You have to welcome that suffering. That's a broken, prophetic church. Let us pray. Oh, Lord.
place all this in your hands, Father. As pastor here, I feel like I've done all I can do. I preach, I shepherd, I counsel, I lead. But at the end of the day, it won't be me that holds it together. It has to be you. It has to be you. I'm not the head of this church. I'm just a shepherd. And so I pray for us. These are hard times. And, man, we haven't even got to November yet. I mean, we, we, we haven't even seen what's probably going to be the worst of it yet. And I pray that, that we as a body can survive this. That we can walk with each other, really walk with each other, really talk with each other. Only you can do it. And so, Father, I pray that you give us confidence. I pray you give us humility. I pray that you give us empathy. I pray you give wisdom to the leaders around this country as things are happening. People are protesting. Some people are rioting and looting, setting things on fire. You see it. And so we need the kingdom of God to come there. We need you to have mercy. And so we pray to you, Lord, bring change. Bring systemic change. Change men's hearts. Change systems. You can do it, Lord. And I pray that you will. I pray for all of this in Christ's wonderful name. Amen.